Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 428. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florists Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Our partnership with Florist Review is such a valuable one, providing a forum for beautiful and inspiring editorial content in the Slow Flowers Journal section, month after month. Thanks to Florist Review, you can now order a subscription for yourself and give another one as a gift this holiday season. Set your 2020 intentions to enrich your personal and professional development. You can find the buy one, gift one special offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 428. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Northwest Green Panels. Based in Madras, Oregon, Northwest Green Panels designs and constructs a wide array of wood-framed greenhouses, offering versatility, style, and durability. Their greenhouses are 100% Oregon-made, using twin-wall polycarbonate, manufactured in Wisconsin, making Northwest Green Panel structures a great value for your backyard. The 8x8-foot modern slant greenhouse has become the essential hub of my cutting garden. Check out photos of my greenhouse in today's show notes or visit nwgreenpanels.com to see more. The timing is perfect for today's All Utah episode. As we're working our way through the A to Z alphabetical list of U.S. states as part of our 50 States of Slow Flowers series, this week we land in Utah, sandwiched between last week's Texas Focus and next week's Vermont Focus. You will recall that I visited Utah this past September to meet with a dynamic group of flower farmers and farmer florists at Poppin Blossoms, where Laura Pittard hosted a wonderful gathering. And she also joined me as a podcast guest. While I was so inspired by that visit, I wanted to learn more. Today's episode will be educational as I speak with the leaders of two groups of Utah flower farmers whose models are replicable in other markets. So take note. First, you'll hear from Heather Griffiths of Salt Lake City. She is the president of the Utah Cut Flower Farmer Association, a new nonprofit formed to promote local and sustainable floriculture by supporting local flower farms through education, outreach, and research programs. Formed in May of this last year, the association currently has 33 members, including certified farms and associate members. The group also focuses on educating flower lovers on the economic and environmental impact of local flowers, as well as on the diversity of flowers available through Utah flower farms. Next, you'll meet Allie Harrison and Lindy Bankhead, two women who formed Florage, an informal flower cooperative based in Catch Valley, Utah, in the northeastern part of the state near Logan. Florage markets and distributes their own flowers, as well as flowers grown by several other farms. 
Florage is a Slow Flowers member organization committed to using sustainable and organic methods to lessen their footprint on the earth. No chemicals or preservative sprays are used in bringing their gorgeous blooms straight from their gardens to the table. This is a juicy episode packed with ideas and inspiration from three women who didn't sit around and ask permission to forge ahead and create a market for locally grown flowers in a state not often associated with ornamental horticulture or cut flowers. Here's a bit more background on all three guests. First, Heather Griffiths. Heather Griffiths is a Slow Flowers member and she owns Wasatch Blooms, a Salt Lake urban flower farm. She writes this on her about page. When you hold my flowers, when you breathe them in deep, I want you to feel the immense love and connection that I do. I want the flowers I grow to convey the message of profound love for each other, the earth, and ourselves. Because love is what drives me to grow flowers. I grow sustainably to feed the soil and benefit my community and environment. I blend permaculture ethics with market gardening to grow flowers that do more than decorate the table, but that also protect our pollinators and create a diverse ecosystem for the unseen members of our community. Farming is my passion and my calling. Farming is my artistic expression. Flowers are my heart wrapped in petals. Allie Harrison owns Paradise Valley Orchard with her husband, Lauren. Their flower passion is fueled by the desire to bring natural beauty and art into the lives of clients. Paradise Valley Orchard is a mid-century apple orchard and a small farm that serves as a backdrop for the weddings and events they produce on their farm. As an artist and self-proclaimed hippie, Allie uses her creativity on her farm daily, finding solace in getting her hands dirty, Allie sees the farm as her canvas and the flower garden as her palette. Her partner, Lindy Bankhead, owns Paisley Flower Farm in Catch Valley, Utah. Lindy is passionate about growing flowers and vegetables as organically as possible. She feels blessed to not only be able to raise her four young children alongside the flowers, but to also deliver freshly cut stems to local florists and customers, people who value the high quality and sustainability of the vibrant blooms she grows. Lindy came to flower farming in 2012. Equipped with a degree in landscape architecture from Utah State University, a master gardener certification, and years of experience working at local greenhouses and nurseries. With the help of her patient husband and family, she's transformed their 100-year-old farm into a gorgeous, thriving cut flower operation. Well, I guarantee you'll see plenty of photos of our Utah floral pioneers in today's show notes at deborahprincing.com. We'll also have links and more resources so you can find and follow Heather, Lindy, and Allie. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so excited today to have an entire episode focused on what's happening with local flowers in the state of Utah. Some of you may remember I visited Utah um, this past summer and um, featured Laura Petard of Pop and Blossoms, and um, the people you'll hear today are her cohorts in the state. So I'd love to welcome Heather Griffiths of Wasatch Blooms. Hi, Heather. Hi. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I am great. It was fun to meet in person when I was visiting your beautiful state. And it was awesome to meet you. Yeah, I learned a lot about what you're up to, and I, I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast. Um, your tagline is a Salt Lake urban flower farm, and um, 
that just uh, kind of says it all because you're growing in an urban space. But um, mm-hmm. tell me, tell us, give us a snapshot of Wasatch Blooms and, you know, what are your services? What's your scope? What do you, what do you grow? And um, then we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. So Wasatch Blooms is, like it says, an urban flower farm. I'm actually upscaling from a micro farm to an urban farm. <laughs> um, so so that's a nice development. And I offer, uh, I do mostly wholesale this year. My first season I did farmer's market and that was a great learning experience and to get my name out there as well. Uh, this, this last season I focus on wholesale and my CSA as well as um, doing a small farm market. Uh, and then hopefully next year I'm go- I want to expand into grocery stores. Mm, wow. So are you saying you just wrapped up your second full season as a flower, it, it, sort of as a flower enterprise? Yes. Okay. Wow. And so, I mean, that's not surprising based on if people remember my conversation with Laura, it's a pretty young phenomenon happening in your state in terms of it is. people even realizing that flowers grow in Utah, right? Right. It's really amusing. In fact, I was at the NCRS office a while back and getting a soil probe to test my soil mm-hmm. and the security officers there, because it's a federal building, they're like, you can grow flowers in Utah? Like people <laughs> don't they don't, it, I mean, even though they can see zinnias and pansies throughout the landscaping at, um, in the shopping centers, like mm-hmm. it just doesn't occur to them that there's a, a climate here that does well for flowers. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, describe the climate. Like what zone are you and what is your growing season? So Utah actually has a lot of like microclimates. Northern Utah can easily be zone 6A. Some places are 5. Um, where I'm at, I'm zone 7A. Okay. Um, and so the season typically, typically it's from like mid-April to uh, the end of October. Mm-hmm. Although this year we had a really short season due to all um, heavy rains in the spring and then a really, a fairly early frost in the beginning of October. And are you considered, because of your elevation, high desert? I hear that term a lot and I'm not quite sure what states it encompasses, but in general, I feel like it's the Rocky Mountain Range. Yes. Yeah, we are considered a high desert area. We don't get a lot of water. Um, we... I think this last, because of the rain from the spring, it was, it was through us for a loop because we're used to not having any water. And now we had an abundance of water. Um, and all of those things that I planted out early or not early, but on time were <laughs> right. wonderfully stunted, oh. um, because of all the rain. <laughs> so, oh. well, I mean, I think that just is a, uh, it just is echoes what I've heard from people all over the country in that there's just so much unpredictability from season to season, yeah, uh, in recent years. Well, I'm staring at a photo on your homepage uh, with you, I think it's you, holding a beautiful yeah. bouquet with foxgloves and scabiosa and cerinthi and gorgeous dahlias. And um, I think there's bergamot or monarda in there. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. arrangement. So I want, I love, yeah, I'd love to have you describe how you, how and, and, like not also what you grow, but also how you've done it in such a small scale with the micro farm. And what does that mean for upscaling to something a little larger? So my micro farm, the first two years has been my backyard and I, my lot is only a 10th of an acre. Um, and so my garden space is only like around a 1200 square feet. Um, but then I leased a space and, a. Um, some garden space in Southern and South Salt Lake. Mm. That gave me, that brought me up to about 2,200 square feet. And the, what I did with that, the way I managed that was I did like 50% fillers and then 50% focal flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I always get people ask me like, how do you know which ones to grow? And I think, and I always say, when it comes time to plant them, the ones you put in first are obviously your priority. Um, <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and yeah. And so, cause you, people love to buy all the seeds. Right. Um, and so, and I kept it small. I mean, I knew I could grow enough to have 25 to 30 bouquets at the farmer's market, depending with about a 10 to 12 stem count per bouquet. Um, and I knew I could, and when I backed away from the farmer's market and I knew I, and I, uh, went wholesale, I knew I could provide easily like a hundred bunches of zinnias. So like, even though the hundred bunches of zinnias isn't a whole lot, um, doing it on a smaller scale and focusing on just a few crops made it so that I could be successful at it and offer the quantities that people needed, even if I didn't have quite the diversity that mm-hmm, everybody wanted. Mm-hmm. I also think, obviously, you have a good eye for color and you have just, you know, schooled yourself on what, you know, the what florists are excited about, whether you're just pouring your over, uh, you know, people's Instagram feeds or just being out talking to people. Your, your palette is... Uh, at least what I see on your website is definitely more floral folk, florist, professional florist focused than what you typically see at a farmer's market. Yeah. I took some time to reach out to florists, um, last February and to see what it is that they wanted, even though I had already bought the majority of my seeds, Mm -hmm. um, and to, to kind of build those friendships and relationships with them. And it has made all the difference, just reaching out to them on a personal level and connecting with them in that way. Um, it has, and it's really been a great influence for me. And I feel like it also gives them more of a perspective of what they can expect locally. Cause like eucalyptus doesn't really do well in Utah. You have to have a lot of, um, protection, a high tunnel or a low tunnel. Mm -hmm. And even then it's, it's kind of, I haven't, I've grown like one or two plants just to see, but it's not something that I want to focus on because I, there's other things that I can do and do and succeed at. So mm-hmm. that's a really good point. I feel like you do have, even though you're limited in space, you do have a, a distinct advantage because you're in the metro market of Salt Lake, and that sounds like Absolutely. that's that's where the not all the florists <clears throat> are obviously because so, uh, the state of Utah seems to be a big wedding destination, wedding state, but at least just the, the options of people that you could approach to sell wholesale to, um, they're, they're kind of collected in, in, you know, within the urban corridor, right? Right. And then, um, when I said earlier that I was upscaling to an urban farm, I actually just signed a lease earlier in the year for this, for this next season for up to an acre at a, at an existing farm. So that gives me the opportunity to go even larger and to provide, um, more device diversity that I want to give. So, so with that property, and I remember you mentioned that when we met Heather, are you, is that going to replace your second location now, or are you going to ultimately have, okay. So you're still going to have your, your, where you live and then a new leased area. Yeah. In fact, because I, the new leased area is, um, substantial enough. I'm hoping to turn my backyard back into the garden. (laughs) I miss my veggies. (laughs) So what's the, what's the additional, like, do you find it's an additional hassle to go to a different location or is it close enough with, you know, because it's in the city that it's, it's not an inconvenience? Um, no, it's a, it's a bit of a drive. It's about a 30 minute drive, but having all, but in my, where I live, a lot of urban farmers to get the amount of acreage 
they have it split up between six or more plots. And so to get that acreage in one location with water and resources, it's absolutely worth the drive. Wow, that's great. And it makes it, and my kids love coming out there with me. So like I can get stuff done without too many interruptions. (laughs) (laughs) Do you find that you'll, you'll, or do you anticipate you'll, you'll go, you know, every day? Uh, I suppose it depends on what your activity is, whether you're planting or later in the season harvesting. Yeah, right now it's easily been um, preparing for fall and planting bulbs and um, and getting my high tunnel set up. It's been going every day, but now things are kind of slowing down as the anemones are getting ready to go in. Mm. So I don't have to go every day, so maybe I can actually enjoy a morning by myself at home while the Mm -hmm. kids are at school. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. So Heather, you talked about wanting to get back to uh, vegetables in your backyard. Do you have a background in food farming or like how did your journey lead you to flowers and to form Wasatch Blooms? Yeah, so I, my upbringing was very like urban country. I I think that's a a very appropriate term. We had (laughs) horses and chickens and I raised bum lambs, but all on like an acre or less. Okay. Um, But growing up, we didn't really have a veggie garden. We didn't do farming. In college, I took a a graduate course on farm culture and literature, which opened my eyes to the need for local food. And the, and that was easily like 10 years ago now. And, and then when we bought our home and there was an, a small existing garden and I started gardening, I realized how passionate I was about it. I am about it. Um, it's so easy for me to, to go headfirst into something that once I know that this is, this is good, this is good for me. I want to move forward with it. And, and then one year, so after being here for two or three years, we, we spent a spring in Southern Utah. Mm. We spent like two months, two months in Southern Utah and it was great. Um, but I, when I came back, I thought I had missed the planting season for flowers Um, but I hadn't, it was just ignorance. Mm -hmm. And, and so I didn't grow up planting. I didn't have any flowers that year. I only had garlic chives and some self-seeded Cosmos. Right. (laughs) And, and it wasn't until my kids were putting garlic chives in my hair to make a flower crown on me that I was like, Oh, I need flowers. I I need flowers in my life, in my garden. And And, And that was just for personal at the time. It wasn't a business, right? Right. It was absolutely for personal. And then, so I started researching how to grow flowers, how, what the different requirements are. And that's when I learned about the slow flower movement, um, what you've done and realizing that, you know, I think I could do this here in Utah. And I went before I even started, I went around to all the farmer's markets near me and real, and there was no one at the time. There was no flower vendors, no farm, no flower farmers. They're not even vegetable farmers selling flowers on the side, nothing. So really young industry then, or in terms of the potential. Yeah. And so then I realized like I could fill that gap. I could bring in um, that resource and people would appreciate it because it's not already there. Um, And then within, so then the next season I started my, my farm and my business and did really well at the farmer's market. And then the next season it turned into like what looked from all of my research, I could only find maybe three or four farmers. Um, and then from the next year, it went up to like 40 farmers. In the state. So in the state. Well, I know we're going to so talk, it's, I'm going to, I know we're going to talk about your statewide project, but um, I have a few other questions about the market in Salt Lake. Um, mm-hmm. Before we do that, uh, did I cut you off? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. Okay. Um, 
once you started reaching out to florists and um, kind of trying to develop your wholesale channels, what did you learn? Like, where were they buying their flowers? I guess, I, is there just a conventional wholesale uh, a florist in town? Is that kind of what, what was the only option at the time? Yeah, so there, I reached out to the florists that I saw that were already trying to buy local or to grow their own. I reached mm. out to them first. And, and then I had a few florists reach out to me on their own. Um, but even then it was like, because there were so few, uh, they couldn't, there was still a lot of space for, and there Mm -hmm. still is a lot Mm -hmm. of space for local farmers. Um, even with a handful of florists that really make it a priority to source local. And, and so, yeah, it most majority of it is imported. Um, there's a handful of wholesalers in the state. And so it's, it's a lot of the standard imported flowers that you would find. Um, but, but with all the farmers coming up, there's more awareness and the, the florists are actually seeking us out a little bit more, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm really glad to hear that. But I, I think what you described is pretty much was the landscape across all of the U S in every, you know, most, mm-hmm. most markets, except for maybe California, where like I just went and spoke at the Montana state florist association, a, a couple of right after I saw you guys in September and they have no wholesaler in the whole state, no kind of conventional import driven wholesalers. So mm-hmm. it, in a way that sounds dire, but in another way, it's kind of opening up an opportunity for local flowers because yeah, oh, yeah. you can have stuff trucked in from, you know, from Spokane or Portland, but those trucks aren't coming every day. So when you have that kind of last minute order or that, you know, urgent uh, emergency the day before a wedding, you have to turn to a local flower farmer. So it's kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon. And I, it seems like your presence in many parts of Utah, mostly kind of you know, the Salt Lake, it seems like that sort of core area, um, mm-hmm. especially where there's like venues for weddings, that's sort of driving that, um, there's a void and you're filling it now. There's driving that demand for more, I don't know, garden, garden, moody, you know, emotional sensory flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you, uh, we've alluded, alluded to the fact that you have, a decided to become an advocate statewide, uh, which is so awesome. And you've started the Utah Cut Flower Farm Association. And I I mm-hmm. think I first learned about this maybe when, <clears throat> I think maybe you popped up on in my Instagram or f- feed or something, but you talked about uh, quite a bit more about it when we were together this past fall. And I really want people to hear about this because there's so many uh, regional hubs for flowers that are popping up around the country, but very few of them are forming state associations. I feel like that's a different direction you chose to go in. So how did this get started and and what kind of decisions did you have to make to create your organization? Well, it started when um, I recognized the exponential growth in farmers in Utah Mm -hmm. um, and having because Utah has a very specific climate and it, and it varies even uh, widely within the state. Mm-hmm. There's very specific challenges to growing in Utah and there's not a lot of resources to know how to grow something well. Because um, I, I love to research. I love to know all of the ins and outs and then take that first step so I feel prepared. And and when everything is coming out of you know Oregon and um, or the East Coast 
and that's a very different climate and you can't, you have to figure it out. There's no one to guide you. <laughs> You're and absolutely so, right. Even the, agri- <laughs> even the agriculture people don't know about flowers probably in Utah. Right. And that's actually, so our local land grant university has started a cut flower research program, which is awesome. And the woman heading that is also on our board, which is fantastic. She's such a valuable resource. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted to form the association because I really value um, community over mm-hmm. competition because mm-hmm. it can so easily go from here is a market that is thriving and growing and doing really well to all of a sudden now it's it's flooded and people don't know what to ask and everyone is trying for their flowers. They don't know what prices to ask for mm-hmm. and everyone's trying to outsell the other person or they're just trying to make their back their initial investment. And it's like, if we, if I can help other people succeed as a farmer, I know I will do better as a farmer. Um, and by creating community and creating awareness, cause that's, that's our two main goals is to create the community of farmers and then to create awareness for local flowers, because it's still, it's still so young and people are starting to catch on here in Utah, but there's still a lot of work to do. Oh yeah. You've got nowhere to go, but up. You have so much yeah. potential. So you formed the Utah Cut Flower Farm Association, what, in 2018? Um, actually, I, we've just started it this year. I oh, think wow. it was in May that, I, that we finally got our nonprofit status. Oh, that's amazing. How did you, like, did you just self-fund this or was, did people make donations or did, was it all kind of sweat equity? Well, um, initially, you know, I, I paid the nonprofit fees mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. but um, because I believe in uh, slow, sustainable growth, I don't want to outpace myself, and I want to keep my finances separate from the nonprofit. Um, all of our funding is coming from membership fees um, and a few sponsors. We have some awesome sponsors. I so, saw that on your website. Yeah, I mean, you've done a lot since since the spring. If you've got your nonprofit status, you it, you have a board, right? Is, don't you have mm-hmm. a board, Heather? We have uh, eight members on our board, including myself. Great. And then you have um, a beautiful, uh, you have a website, don't you? I think. I, yes. Yeah. Utahflowerfarms.com. <clears throat> Great. So we'll share a link so people can look at that and see um, how you're, you know, how you're communicating and sharing. I mean, I'm assuming this is a intended to be a public facing, consumer facing uh, tool, right? Yes. Wow. So the, the whole, the goal of the website is to make it so that people can find their farmer um, and we have different tiers of membership. We have the associated member who is the person just starting out who wants to learn and have that resources in that community um, so that they can succeed. And then the certified grower, which is someone that's been doing it for two years already, because even when you go, even if you've been gardening or growing flowers for decades, switching to whole, uh, to selling, there's a different learning curve. Um, and so we wanted to have it be the certified grower is so that when a florist or a person is looking for local flowers, they know that this person, this grower is quality and that they know what they're doing and that they can trust that they're getting a, um, a valuable bouquet. That's an interesting term, certified grower. So that kind of is like a good housekeeping seal of approval in a way that um, yeah. there's certain benchmarks that people need to meet uh, to achieve that uh, status then as a member. Yeah, and we wanted to, I mean, it's not meant to be exclusionary in any way. It's just meant to make it so that um, we can support the associated members, the people starting out and give them resources and community, and then also promote um, the people who, who've been doing, doing this for a while and know 
um, where they're going with it, you right, know, cause we right. don't want to, we, we want to make sure that we're promoting quality local flowers. That's interesting. It's almost like you're able to, um, create best practices and standards for the professional grower and then incubate, uh, newer growers who will work their way up into becoming certified growers at some Absolutely. point. Yeah. How yeah. many, so how did you say how many members you have? Did you say 40? Um, well, no, we, so our members are close to 33 right now and that's including the associated and the mm. certified growers. Mm, that's great. Um, yeah. Oh, so I we don't have not all of the farmers in Utah, but getting there. I think that's maybe what you said earlier. Like you've, you've come across about 40 people who are now, you know, identifying themselves as growing flowers in Utah or something like, mm -hmm. like in that, that, that exponential spike has happened just in the last two or three years. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I know also you've been um, acting in a way as a media spokesperson for Utah Cut Flower Farm Association. Uh, how does how comfortable are you be, at being on TV? <laughs> well, I've been on TV four times now, um, and every time I'm on, I get more and more comfortable. The last two <laughs> times were the first times I could watch myself without cringing. Um, <laughs> so it's getting easier, especially when I recognize that like it's only three or four minutes because it's such short segments. Um, and then I've been on the local radio a handful of times, mo mostly for my own farm, but then uh, once for the nonprofit as well. Mm -hmm. So, and it's, it's an interesting thing because it's not something I anticipated for myself. Um, I mean, it's kind of fun and exciting, but at the same time, like I'm trying to promote other farmers. Like I'm not doing this because I think it'd be a fun thing to do. And I want that publicity. I'm doing it because I want to, I want to sh give a shout out to all of the farmers that are doing um, a great job and that are trying to make a difference. Um, cause it's not, it's easy to like see myself, you know, watch the clips of myself on the news and to get an inflated head. Um, <laughs> no, I don't, I'm but, not worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, there's a lot of parallels obviously, obviously with what I've done, um, in creating slow flowers. And I think that the, <clears throat> the goal is to drive more, more viewers, more listeners, more readers, more audience members to that website. Mm -hmm. The only way you can do that is to do, in my opinion, to get public relations uh, hits, you know, successes, and be on the media, in the media as a resource, an expert, someone sharing information, because no one can afford to buy their way up to the top of a Google search. And so really you have to rely on, on media. So I, I encourage you to keep doing it. And maybe some of your other cut flower farm association, you know, colleagues will jump in and do the same thing in their markets. Right. I definitely want to try and like, um, source out. Cause I have the local news station come to me a few times saying, Hey, we want to talk about this. And I want to try and sourcing out like, oh, you know, this is the farmer to talk about that, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. that's smart. I also feel that in a way, there's so much negative news all the time in our lives. And if, if somebody who has a, a chance to show flowers on the front page of a newspaper or on a TV segment, it's like eye candy. It's just gives a positive Absolutely. response. And so the flowers kind of do the market. If you can only get it in front of the right media outlet, the flowers will do the work for you, which is really refreshing. Absolutely. I feel like there's, it's so easy to sell flowers. It's a lot harder to sell intellectual property, like the nonprofit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's easy to sell flowers though. <laughs> that lead with beauty. I, I think that's really cool. Well, what kind of programs do you have cooking for, um, you know, for 2020? And uh, I know you said you're kind of affiliated with the university. What kind of research is happening that you're involved in? 
Well, um, I, I'm trying to make sure that everything I can say with the university is public. Hold on. Okay. So we recently did a finished up or we're in the middle of a study for dahlias in Utah, grow, their nutritional needs um, and how to grow dahlias in Utah. We, I was able to get a handful of um, cuttings from the university to grow. And then they are going to store the tubers for me and give me free soil sampling samplings um, or soil testing mm -hmm. and information and resources. Um, we're doing another spring, I don't, spring flower study um, of things to grow in low tunnels or under protection in Utah. And then she, so it's Dr. Melanie Stock at USU. Okay. She is doing a peony research study as well. Wow. Um, growing, trying to get peonies to bloom for Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> which, so, which would be awesome because there's not a whole lot that blooms around Mother's Day in Utah. Right. Wow. You know, that is so great to have that kind of advocate at the academic level who has, is more research minded because then that whatever, whatever intel comes out of that is shared widely with everyone in the, in the profession. And so it's Absolutely. kind of, no one has to reinvent the wheel. They can just learn from this Dahlia study or the early spring crops study or the, or the peonies. I, that's really exciting. Um, Absolutely. And these certified growers are also, she reaches out to our, the nonprofit members for, to participate in these studies first. So oh, before she reaches out to anybody else, which is really nice because we have that opportunity to get re free resources and free education. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you're saying like, uh, multiple people will conduct trials and, and at their farms and then sh the, uh, the, she'll collect the data. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. Well, I look forward to seeing more about that. And I, I love that the first one was dahlias because clearly dahlias do grow in Utah. You're growing them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they're, that's a flower that the consumer just can't get enough of and florists can't get enough of. Absolutely. It was so It's so awesome to be able to participate in that way and to feel like you're contributing to your community um, through more than just uh, social media, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But to be uh, providing a valuable resource. And then because we are still getting up off the ground, we're getting our feet underneath us and trying to move forward. We actually have a lot of that we're trying to do. Like we want to, um, we want to hold quarterly meetings with our members to host uh, free workshops for our members, do farm tours of the different farms in Utah, um, we really want to create a strong sense of community and support because we want to people to feel like they are they're valuable, what they are doing is valuable, and that they know how to present themselves and to um, how to succeed with their farm business. Mm, that's great. That's really exciting. Well, will you share some photos of of Wasatch blooms and what you're doing, uh, especially uh, this past season when? you, you know, really went, went strong into wholesale. And, um, also if you have a, a, any group, if you have any group shots, I don't know if you have any photos of your gatherings, um, or anything you want to share about the, uh, Utah cut flower farm association. I'd love to share that with our, our listeners. Um, we'll have everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. We'll post everything at deborahprincing.com for this episode. Let me just end by thanking you so much for taking the time to share your story and tell us about some exciting news coming out of Utah. I'm really excited that you're part of Slow Flowers, and I look forward to doing some more collaborations in the future. Thank you. And thanks what you, for what you said about my bouquet, because I don't do a lot of floristry myself, but I made that on a whim. And so that felt nice to hear you say it look good. <laughs> uh, you've, got, you've, got a, you've got a great aesthetic. And I, and I, and I do think that... Um, 
the more you become familiar with what you're growing, the better designer you become, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I only want to learn my floristry, I, like learn floristry so I can better serve my florist because I don't want to be a farmer florist. I just want to grow. So that's cool. Okay. Thank you so much, Heather. It was really fun talking right. to you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. to uh, turn our attention to part two of our special episode about what's happening in Utah. And I want to welcome two women who have formed the Flourish Cutflower Co-op. Please meet Allie Harrison and Lindy Bankhead. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, it'll be hard for people to get, get used to your voices. So, uh, Allie, why don't you go first and tell us a little bit about what where you're located geographically in the state. I mean, everyone knows about Salt Lake, but what region are, are is Florage kind of focusing on in terms of farming and, and, and uh, ser client services? So we are in what's called Cache Valley, Utah. Um, the big town here is Logan. Okay. Um, so we're about an hour and a half north of Salt Lake, kind of directly north. Um, kind of nestled in a U-shaped valley, very mountainous here, very beautiful. Um, so, and our farm is actually 10 miles south of Logan. We're on the very southern end of the valley. Okay, and your your farm is Paradise Valley Orchard, right? Yeah. Okay, yep. great. And I just have to say as an aside, um, you and your husband came to our Slow Flowers meetup in... Um, was at September, I guess, when I was in Utah. So I got a little bit of your story, and that's when I was that you teased me, and I knew I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about what you and Lindy <laughs> nice. are doing. Uh, Lindy, tell us about uh, your farm and where you're located. Sure. Well, I am located in Cache Valley as well. Um, my farm is called Paisley Flower Farm, and I'm on the south end of Cache Valley, just like Allie. Um, my farm's actually, as you come out of the canyon, um, as you enter Cache Valley, there's beautiful green scape, green farms, and we're located right there. Wow. Um, my husband and I and our four children live there. It's actually my husband's family farm that he grew up on and has been in the family for more than 100 years. It's actually one of the centennial farms in Utah. Wow. Wow. That, That's um, special. Has been family owned. Yeah. And farmed for over 100 years. So... We feel really lucky that we get to grow there and live there, and it's just a beautiful region. If anyone wants to come visit, it's a gorgeous <laughs> place in Utah. Come oh, to Cache Valley. Oh, I, I will come next time I'm in the state because I only got to where did I go? Um, Provo, I guess. That wasn't very yeah. wasn't very far. Well, yeah, come see it. So, how did you two find each other, and like when did this sort of realization that you wanted to create a co-op happen? I'm just, I mean, I just got done talking with Heather Griffiths about the Utah Cut Flower Farm Association and how there's not a lot of people farming in Utah. It's a very young industry. And so I'm just delighted that you have already formed a co-op. Um, how did you do that? So, oh man, I don't know. 
we <laughs> this is our favorite story. Okay. We love telling uh, this is like asking um, asking a couple how they met at a wedding. <laughs> yes, totally. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So um, my husband and I out here in paradise, um, it's actually an apple orchard. We bought it as an apple orchard mm-hmm. and it's got all the spider equipment. So we do cider pressing. And so, I mean, um, Deborah, I'm going way back. Yeah. Okay. So this is like the origin story. That's okay. Um, so anyway, so Lindy was an apple pressing customer and she would come and because a big part of our business is we make our own cider, but we also press apples for other people that oh, wow. bring apples to us. Okay. And it's. It's a really cool, kind of a cool thing that we do. So she would show up and bring her apples, and we just started chatting one day, and I found out she grew flowers, and I I was like, hey, come here, look, I'm growing all these flowers out here. And she looks at my flowers, and she's like, I could totally sell that. (gasps) And that is literally how the co-op started. (laughs) I wanted her flowers. I've been growing, so this is Lindy, again, if you can't recognize our voices, but um, I've been growing flowers for about seven years on our farm. Wow. And I had established, you know, clientele in Cache Valley. The florists have been great to support me as kind of a part-time venture for me where I did it with my kids and it was, uh, um, you know, during the summer we did it and then the winter we had off. And when Allie and I first met, it was like, hmm, yeah, I could sell that and I need some of that for one of my customers and she needed some of my flowers. And it kind of just blossoms from there. Excuse the pun. Wow. Um, but Lindy, but what, seven years yeah. of growing cut flowers, you were like the pioneer in the state. Did you think you were just this lonely little flower grower and nobody else was doing what you were doing? I had no idea I, that it, I was a pioneer because I just kept doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. I, just, I was so busy with my kids and trying to produce the product and sell it that I really didn't branch out to market it or to the public very much. Mm. Um, and Allie and I laugh because we really love how we came together because we are so different and brought such different talents and backgrounds to the table that that's what's really made it work. Allie has, is really um, focused in and has a lot of history with working with the public and marketing, graphic design, and really getting your name out there. And so we came together and it just worked because Mm -hmm. we really had two different talents that we could meld together and two different kind of focuses that worked for us. Um, And then Lindy, 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 when you said I could totally sell that, that tells me that you you're not an introvert either. You obviously get out and sell, but that you, what you had to bring to the, the partnership is a little more awareness of uh, selling flowers, that specific niche. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. You know, and that's what I focused my whole business on was selling to local florists. Mm-hmm. I didn't do a lot with the general public. I didn't do a lot with the wholesaler, but I really had established a good clientele of florists that knew me and knew my stuff and knew that I was going to be consistently there with product. And I think that's what we really enjoyed about the co-op is that we offer to each other um, new types of flowers to take to our florist. Hmm. You know, as a, as a small-time grower, you can't do it all. 
And right. so it was it was fun to see something that Allie was growing that I've never grown before. And I, it excited me and it excited my florist. They were like, oh, something new in the truck. <laughs> so, Lindy, were you doing your own kind of delivery route and then uh, kind of as a solo floralpreneur and now now you've moved everything over to Florage or tell me about the structure of how you're how you're moving flowers from your farms to the marketplace sure so yes when before I met Allie I was just running flowers to Cache Valley that was kind of the geographical area I'd set for myself that I could fit into my family life um so I twice a week I would sell to the florist in Cache Valley, and that pretty much took care of what I was growing. Um, but I could see the need that if we were going to grow more, we needed to expand. And as Allie and I came together that winter, after we started working together, we both were like, hey, we need to expand. And Allie, of course, enthusiastic Allie was like, well, I'll take it to Salt Lake and Ogden. And, um, so th- it was great because wow. we helped each other. Again, we could both sell each other's flowers and cover a larger geographic area. So before you met Lindy Alley, were you just enjoying the flowers on your property or just selling them to people who came for the cider and apple activities? Or had you actually also started wholesaling? So I hadn't really sold any flowers before I met Lindy. Mm. We were doing at that point quite a few weddings and events on our farm. Mm. And I started this cool thing where we do, we did like a farm to table wedding package and I would actually sit down with the brides and we would thumb through the seed catalogs and they would pick (laughs) out the flowers that I would grow for their wedding in August. Oh my goodness. And it was super cool. Yeah. People loved it. I mean, we didn't do that many. I did a handful of events. Mm -hmm. That's all I could handle. And we're a small farm. So obviously these are very small events, but that's kind of how it started as I, I started growing flowers for the wedding. I did grow flowers. I've grown flowers for years. So before we did the wedding, I was just growing, um, we, we did vegetables for the local farmer's market Uh and I always grew Uh a giant flower patch and I would sell, um, bouquets and buckets of flowers at the farmer's market. Like not anything in a big quantity, just something to make the space beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then from there, um, I, we started doing the weddings on our farm. I would custom grow the flowers. But we had obviously so many left over, you know, that I was trying to figure out things to do with the leftovers. And we would have people come by and buy the cider and the apples in the fall, and I would sell flowers out of the store. So I was just selling them in these little kind of weird ways, Mm -hmm. not really trying to turn a profit on them, but didn't want to compost all of them either. It was a way for me to kind of recoup some money. So when I met Lindy, the flowers that she saw out in the field in in my garden was for a wedding. They were leftover wedding flowers. Oh, wow. Um, What year was that that you met? That was, what, two years ago now, Lindy? That was last year. Was it last year? Yeah, 2018. We met two years ago. And then, yeah, because we kind of, we're trying to put this timeline together. But then we came together and started, uh, Lindy started selling my flowers. In last 2018, yeah. last spring. So you've kind so of had, you, yeah, you both had these kind of voids in your businesses and coming together. You, What prompted you to think of creating kind of a, a hybrid business and using the co-op model? And it's, and um, I know the reason I ask is I think there's a lot of questions going on around, around the whole U.S. and in Canada when I meet with people who are trying to look at what model 
uh, for like a collaborative effort would work best for them because there are several, there's for profit, there's there's legal co-ops, there's informal co-ops, there's Facebook groups, there's all these ways that people can kind of team up. And how did you decide to do the co-op model? You know, it really evolved based on our needs. We just found that winter as we assessed, okay, where do we want this to go? What do we want to do? We knew that we wanted to grow a large quantity of flowers and we wanted to cover a larger geographical area. So, you know, last winter, this last fall at this time, we had decided, okay, we'll grow. And we sat down together and this was important. We decided, what do you like to grow? And what do I like to grow? Mm-hmm. We wanted to decide so we didn't saturate our market with the same flowers. That yeah. was important to yeah. us to be able to offer a wide range of different types of blooms. So we had decided, you know, you're going to, you're going to head to Salt Lake and Ogden and I'm going to stick with my Cache Valley route. And that's how we will sell our flowers. We'll do some workshops. We'll do our pop-up shops that have become really popular and we'll go from there. Well, spring came and some of the other growers in Cache Valley and Ogden heard through us and through the grapevine what we were doing and they're like oh I don't want to sell but I grow would you take my stuff too and so then that kind of grew in our mind that hey we could help out other growers that are smaller than ourselves that like to grow but don't necessarily have the time or resources to sell because it is a lot of time and effort to sell the flowers and get them to the florist. Right. And right. it just it just snowballed this last spring where we brought on, what, about 10 to 15 growers? <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. At the peak season, we had a ton of people throwing flowers on our trucks, which was awesome. Well, it sounds um, like you're just, you didn't want to say no to anybody and, and you know, because you oh. had to kind of test the limits of how far you could push this. Yes, and we did, there would come time in the season where we'd say, you know what, we have so many Snapdragons, we can't take any more of your Snapdragons, but that stuff over there looks really nice, those Mm. lilies, we don't have any of those. So we actually, we've learned so much this growing season where it's so important for small growers to grow what excites them, but also if they want to sell large quantities, really specialize into something that's unique and exciting so that, you know, we're not all growing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to really decide what's going to be exciting, what you're really good at growing. Well, I see on your site under Meet Our Growers, there are at least eight uh, farms identified. I'm sure that there's more coming and going. We're kind of trying to figure out how, how this all works. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. pretty impressive for like really. This is nine, 2019 was your first season, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, what is the mechanism for marketing these flowers? Do you have availability lists, or do you just show up with a you know a truck filled with flowers? Like, what what has been what have you found to be the best way to connect with these wholesale customers? So we send out a weekly availability email and we usually try to send it out on the weekend, like Thursday, Friday. Um, that way the, the florists can mull it over all weekend and, and start putting in their orders for the, the following week for that Monday. Um, so we send out an availability week uh, email and it's got the a picture of the flowers, the price, you know, it's mm-hmm. first come first serve. Um, 
we so we do it two ways. We put together orders so florists can go on. Um, you know, they just respond back to the email. We put together. They can put it in order for stuff that they absolutely want. And then we also have a quite a big selection of what we call spec mm. um, on the truck, which is just whatever we have that might not have been in quantities enough to put orders. It's just specialty stuff. It's weird stuff. Whatever they want to choose from that's not in their order. Um, they shop. So then they shop in. Per, they shop from the truck in person. Then with when they when yeah. you show up. Okay. Yep. Wow, that's kind of mind boggling. <laughs> do the farms <laughs> do the? Does everybody come to a central like loading uh, destination? You know what we did this last season is we have farmers based on where our route is uh-huh. that we're willing to that we're willing to meet and we kind of set up based on the farmer's individual needs where we'd meet them at. Um, we, at the end of the season, we had to kind of tweak that. We learned from that, that there really just isn't enough hours in the day to accommodate everybody. So we, you know, we're looking forward to the next year to having the growers meet us at the coolers, you know, get those flowers. So they're not riding on trucks in the back of our cars that they need to come to where our coolers are and get them in the cooler Mm -hmm. and just make it a little bit more efficient that way. So that was Lindy. Yeah. So Lindy, are you saying that like you have a cooler at your farm and so people, if they can get the flowers to you, kind of, you know, make sure the flowers get completely chilled overnight before you do the deliveries or, um, so, so this season, Allie, Allie is the only one with a cooler. She has oh. a giant walking cooler with her apple pressing oh, right. operation. Uh, my husband and I are actually in the process of buying and putting in a cooler um, because that is a high priority for us that we're delivering the best stuff to the florist. Um, so for, 20, of course, for 2020, you'll both have coolers then? Yes. Got it. Um and we we always want to make sure that the flowers are cut and immediately get in coolers, that they're not riding around all day waiting to get chilled. Um, that's kind of one of our top priorities to make sure we've always got really high quality stuff to take to the florist. That's exciting. Um, and then the what is the do you both have two vehicles going out or I mean these routes are are sounds like you're covering a lot of territory geographically for reaching the, 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 the florist customers. Yeah. So this is Allie. Um, so yeah, all, I feel like I'm, I tell people I'm a delivery driver and I sometimes grow flowers. <laughs> <That's kind> of, <laughs> oh my gosh. It, yeah. I was like, my mom was like, you're basically a long haul trucker. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, we're a long haul truckers that like flowers. Basically. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so Lindy, she takes care of Cache Valley, and she goes all the way up to Preston. Um, so I don't know, Lindy, how many miles do you think you cover? I cover about between 250, 300 miles wow. twice a week. Wow. Um, and right now I'm just using my Honda Pilot that mm-hmm. won't stop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how many flowers I can get in that. Yeah. I learned this year, after this was a big learning key to, to us, is you've got to have a good delivery 
truck. Um, mm-hmm. And so I next year I'm I'm looking at renting a delivery van through those busy months. And mm-hmm. then Allie will tell you what her solution was. Yeah. So um, I started my route. I was just going to do Ogden. You know, I was like, oh, I'll start in Brigham City in Ogden. And then, of course, it quickly just snowballed. <laughs> the more flowers we, we were growing and taking on and the growers – the more people I started adding to the route. And so now I drive as clear, I drive as far as Draper, Utah, okay. which is, um, I don't know. I got to think about the mileage, but um, it's a two hour drive from here. So I was in, I was driving twice a week. We both go Mondays and Thursdays. Okay. Um, we, um, yeah, so I was driving, I don't know, Lindy, what kind of mileage do you think I was driving? It was so much. Oh my gosh. Took, I mean, it would take me eight hours. I would be in the car eight, nine hours on wow. delivery days. And wow. I would get up at three, four in the morning, um, load the truck, and then I would just go. And I would stop at, I think at the peak season, I was hitting about 22 stops wow. between That's... my house and Draper. That's a- amazing because I've heard that the average... Uh, stops a bucket truck can handle are like maybe a dozen. So, well, just, so it's I, crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, it was nuts. It was insane. I don't know. Yeah, I'm crazy though. If you meet me, I mean, you met me. I'm totally insane. I love it. Um, I love it. I mean, you know what? <laughs> Capable women have to run this world, and you're making things happen, and yes. that's what matters. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, I also realized right away after we started taking on all these growers and having all these flowers that I quickly needed to upgrade my car. I just had a small SUV and I was packing flowers in. I mean, I had flowers coming out of the glove box. Like <laughs> it was crazy. And I would open my the back of my car and it was so packed. And it just, I, I, at one point I was like, okay, we're done. I'm done with the SUV. <laughs> and so my husband was actually working out of town and I went to like a truck shop, <laughs> like a dealership yeah. and bought a refrigerated truck and just drove it home that day. Cause I was like, I'm done. I'm done. And then I called him. I'm like, babe, we just bought a refrigerated truck. <laughs> wow. And he's like, cool. <laughs> and I it's a giant diesel truck and the backup camera was busted. So I had to learn how to drive that diesel truck. I was driving it down. I mean, I, I, not that I was driving, I am driving that truck downtown Salt Lake in the middle of those high rise buildings, trying to park on sidewalks. It was crazy. Oh it my is goodness. crazy, but like, it's so fun. I love it. It's it's nuts, but I actually don't mind the driving. I love seeing the florist. I love the, that delivery part. That's something that I don't necessarily want to give up. I want to still be the delivery person, you because, know. Because and it sounds like it. yeah, and it sounds like the two of you are the face of the, you're you're co-owners of the business, right? Yes. Or the co-op. And and so you're the face. You you're kind of the public facing connection between these florists and the flowers of many farms. So you can't lose that. That sounds like a really important part of your brand. Yeah. Yes. This is Lindy. Um, That's something we've learned. And I've learned over seven years is one of the most important parts of growing flowers is that connection with the florist Mm -hmm. and just making that, um, that relationship. They come to trust you and really know you and you really sell flowers right there on the street in parking lots. Like Amazing. I had no idea when I started flower farming that I would become a saleswoman. <laughs> like it's, a it's, saleswoman it and a trucker and yeah. 
there's so many parts of this job. <laughs> it's so interesting. Well, so, you know, you've mentioned that, that you kept adding stops and customers, and were you just cold calling uh, florists that you would find on, I don't know, on Instagram, or did you get word of mouth referrals? I mean, was it, it doesn't sound like that that, that was a, a hurdle that was hard to jump over for both of you. Yeah, so um, this is Allie. Um, I, Lindy had had her established route. She, mm-hmm. she was growing for seven years, mm-hmm. you know, and she can tell you a little bit more about how she found her florist, but I, I just did a Google search. I was like, florist in Utah. <laughs> and I just started going. I mean, I would, I did some calls beforehand, but mostly I would just show up because florists are so visual. They want to see the flower. They want to touch the flower. They want to bury their face in the flower. They want to smell it. They want to meet me. So the calling actually didn't even get me that far. I would just show up. I would Mm. just, I would take along with me when I was trying to expand my route and get more people. I would just, just write in a notepad, all of the florists that I wanted to visit and their address. And I would just show up and I was like, my name is Allie. I have a flower co-op and I would open the back of my car or truck, whatever I was driving. And just, I would often give away samples like mm-hmm. here, take some of these, try mm-hmm. them, let me know what you think. Mm-hmm. And I just told them about my route when I would be stopping. And we just went from there and all, pretty much every florist I stopped at was like, absolutely 1000%. I'm super excited because nobody's doing this. Well, I asked the same question of Heather Griffiths about what's happening in Salt Lake specifically, and I think you'll probably have a similar answer, and that is, where were these florists buying their flowers before you came into their lives? Yeah, this is Lindy. Yeah, they're buying them from wholesalers. Mm -hmm. They're shipping them in from across the world, and um, really what I found seven years ago even, when I cold-called um, the, the florist in Cache Valley is they were excited. Mm, the mm-hmm. first florist I called, she's like, yes, I'll drive out there. Let me come look at what you're doing. Wow. Um, and so they are hungry for local flowers. They know the quality. They know that they're getting something that has been lovingly grown that has, was just cut that morning and it's really cool to work with the ones that are on board with local flowers because they're willing to be flexible. Mm. Certainly with local flowers, there's a seasonality to it. Right. You know, they, and there's also the risks of it that we can't guarantee when the tulips are going to open exactly. And they're always really willing to work with us. And it's been really fun to form that relationship. And I love going to them. This is another really positive thing of forming that relationship is they've taught me. You show up and they're like, oh, you know what? I'll buy these, but I can get all these from my wholesaler. So we grow some of these other colors or this is the price I'm paying for these or, hey, when I get these in, I like them bunched like this. And they're really willing to share information and encourage us and really try to help us build our farms because it really is a positive for them. Wow. And how, can I ask you how you're, how you're making this work for yourselves financially? Obviously you're doing the front end of a lot of the work on behalf of these other farms and you're obviously having to take some kind of percentage of sales. Is it, is it standardized yet? Or are you still trying to work out how you're doing that with your uh, member farms? Sure. This is Lindy again. Um, 
what Allie and I worked out last year, 2018, was a 70-30% split. Okay. So the grower takes home 70% of what sells, and then whoever goes out and sells it takes home 30% for that time Hmm. and effort to go out and sell it. And that's just what we set up between both of us. Mm -hmm. And we talked to quite a few different people about it, different florists, different business people, accountants. We talked to each other and we just both felt like that was fair between Mm -hmm. us. You know, the grower should take 70%. And really, if anyone's ever gone out and sold and the time and the effort and the money that goes into that, 30% is totally fair to compensate for that effort. Um, Absolutely. And that's that's what we just presented to our growers that wanted to come Mm -hmm. on. We said this, you send us the flowers that you grow that you'd like to sell. Certainly they don't need to send us all of them, just whatever they'd like to sell. And um, it's on commission. So we take that and then um, we just tell them up front, seventy thirty, and after we sell consignment. consignment. That's the word. <laughs> consignment. Is that what? Yeah. It, you said commission. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I meant on consignment. <laughs> Valley. <laughs> um, yeah. After we sell, we just keep tr- very careful notes of what sells, and then we um, we reconcile at the end of the month. We write them out a big check, and it was awesome for me actually in September to see the numbers of what Allie sold of my flowers in. Salt Lake and Sun Valley and Jackson. She needs to talk about why she suddenly was in Jackson Hole and Sun Valley. Yeah, well, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that before them, we wrap up. <laughs> yes, that's the big news here. When I looked at those numbers, I looked at Allie and said, hey, gold star for you. <laughs> she, she wrote me out a big, big check. And I was like, I love that 70%. You yeah. know, it, it was such an advantage to me because all those trips and all that mileage ended up being a great big check for me for her just taking my stuff on consignment. It's, yeah. It really works out great, especially for people that know the effort and the time and the expense that goes into selling to florists. And Absolutely. So, um, this is Allie. I just wanted to add that right now, the co-op is not a legal entity. Okay, It's just, we haven't like registered it as like, a legal co-op. I know there's legal definitions of co-op. We are calling it a co-op because it is basically an association of growers and sellers. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to mislead people because it's not, we haven't done anything to legally define ourselves for government purposes or tax purposes or anything yeah. as a co-op. So it's, it's more like um, a mar- It's like a marketing collaborative uh, kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. That makes collaborative sense. versus a co-op. I, yeah. you know, so I just wanted to make that clear that we're the the name Floridge just encompasses a collection of flower farmers and sellers. Yeah, yeah. That's, so, that, thank and, you for that, and thank you both for being um, transparent about your the money situation because I think that that is um, it's a business and. It sounds mm-hmm. like you guys are not in this for this to be a hobby. You're putting a lot of sweat equity into it, and you have to um, know what the value is of what you're you're bringing to the the farms that are enjoying your services. So that's really sure. helpful. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have uh, before we wrap up, we have to hear a little bit of news about what's going on with um, new markets. And um, Allie, I feel like I should. Maybe we should do another episode about this when we have more time, but give us the snapshot of your crazy expansion plans. (laughs) 
Okay, I'm gonna try to keep this really short and sweet. Oh no, it's okay. I feel like <laughs> you and I could probably do like a nine-hour podcast <laughs> on this, but um, yeah. So basically, my husband and I just recently purchased an existing flower farm in Idaho, Blackfoot, Idaho, called Bindweed Farm. And Deborah, I know that you know Ralph and Jerry Ann really well. Yep. And I know you've done podcasts with yes, them. Yes, they're past um, guests of this podcast. Amazing people. Yeah. So we just this past season, and it was actually kind of funny, through the success of the co-op, when we really started looking at it, and I just found this passion of growing and selling. And I was just like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I Mm. love this so much. I had no idea that it was inside of me to be this passionate about flowers and selling and, and just all the things about it. Like I love building the website and marketing and just everything that goes into what we do. I just found it like I loved it. So anyways, the opportunity to buy bindweeds just kind of fell into our lap. Again, that's part of the nine-hour podcast that you and I are <laughs> going to record today. <laughs> um, it felt kind of just fell into our lap. The stars aligned, everything aligned, and here we are. We we took over in October, so we just got back. Well, we go up all the time. It's a two-hour drive from here. So we, we can do like a day trip up there if we need to, but we often spend the night up there. Um, there's a little apartment on the farm that we stay at, which is super nice. Um, but we planted, I think we're at like 48,000 tulips, um, oh several thousand daffodils. We've got about 3,500 ranunculus we're putting in. We're trying to get all those fall crops in. This isn't a, I, I, I don't know, Deborah, have you been up there? Have you been to see no, the farm in I Idaho? No, I haven't. I haven't. I'll have to meet, meet up with you there sometime. We'll do a whole road trip. We'll yeah. take you all over Um Anyways, yeah, so we, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there well, for a minute. Well, let, um, me, let me jump in for a second and just give people yeah. a little context. Bindweed is, yeah. bindweed is one of those farms that people have looked at for decades as the most successful model of selling into kind of luxury destination markets from a very rural place. And as at least that's been my observation. And Jerry Ann Sabin and Ralph Thurston were the founders of it. And just maybe two years ago or three, they sold the business to their nephew. And yes. he kept the name Bindweed. Ralph and Jerry Ann went on and started um, Deadhead Cut Flowers, which was kind of a teaching, writing, workshop venture. And then I guess Ben, their nephew, decided to sell. And but and that's how you were able to acquire the farm. You you bought Bindweed yes. from him. But Ralph and Jerry Ann are kind of like the fairy godmother, fairy godfather who are kind of keeping <laughs> keeping everything of, yeah. uh, going in terms of sharing knowledge. Yes. Yeah, they actually still live there. So we kind of, the, the, the farm kind of wraps around their house. Got it. Um, so they still live there, which is amazing because we go up there and Ralph just like magically appears like some like ethereal being. He just like descends <laughs> down and he's like, Hey, what do you want to know today? And oh I'm like, gosh. Oh my goodness. I know. And so I just like furiously I'm scribbling down notes and we have like walked that property like a thousand times. And I'm just like, I'm getting this like crash course from the guru himself every time I'm up there. And it's been so wonderful it's just so cool I've got this built-in like encyclopedia that lives on my farm wow so now now the Utah flowers are making their way up into those Idaho and Wyoming markets and then the reverse and then the reverse is happening where those some of those 
flowers that maybe that's a different cultural conditions, I'm not sure, but maybe things that hadn't quite come into some of the Utah destination markets. It's kind of this synergy going on between these two de- two states or three states, actually. Yeah, I'm going to let Lindy talk about that really quick. Um, she really noticed, like, her florists here in Cache Valley were really used to kind of what she was growing. And then, you know, they got a taste of what I grew here at Paradise Valley. But then when bindweed, we started bringing down those bindweed flowers, um, it was kind of mind-boggling. If you want to tell how the yeah. florist yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm over here just cheering them on. Um, I, of course, being in this market for seven years, I knew bindweed. I knew what they were. And mm-hmm. Allie called me up one day and she's like, Hey, we're thinking about buying bindweed. Like, what do you think about that? My jaw just dropped. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, how um, handy so, for you, lady. <laughs> well, <laughs> It's really lovely to be able to have this little connection. And mm-hmm. I look forward to meeting Ralph and Jerry mm-hmm. and I never have yet. Um, but it was fun because Bindweed for last summer joined our co-op. And right. we were able to, um, Allie brought those flowers down and we were able to deliver them to the florists in Cache Valley and Salt Lake and expand their market. And then all of our flower, a bunch of our flowers went up into their markets and it was just so cool to watch the florists. And when I would mention, hey, these came from a farm in Blackfoot, Idaho, it was like, oh, wow, how cool that I get to shop from all these local farms from northern Utah to southern Idaho. Wow. Um, right. The florists yeah. just love it. That I think that's one of the most exciting things is to offer them um, not only the diversity of flowers but the diversity of local farms that they get to support very easily and it's kind of like a bigger super region that you've put together now that um just gives you a more competitive edge as as a co-op in terms of more selection more choice and maybe it's a little season extension i'm not quite sure but um a better stream of of choices for for the florists yeah, the, the seasons are they're similar, but they are just slightly different, um, mm. which is cool. I think it, here in Utah, I think our season is just enough longer that we can provide those flowers to Sun Valley and Jackson a little bit earlier and a little bit later. Wow. Um, which is really cool. So, yeah, this, just having that kind of the different seasons um, and the big game changer um, that we found for being able to do this and travel those super long distances was getting their refrigerated truck um, that yeah. has been able to let us drive these flowers like all over the place without um, compromising the quality of the flowers. Yeah. yeah, you've got a highly perishable product and, and it's like a Tiffany diamond. You've got to keep it yeah. well well nurtured or nestled yeah. or <laughs> happy. <laughs> yeah, wow. happy flowers. Well, will you both share some photos of your farms and your flowers and what you're doing with us so we can add them to the show notes? And I, I feel like for the show note, I need to have a map of Utah with dots all over it to show <laughs> all these destinations. So, Allie, maybe I'll work yeah. on that with you. <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, we threw a lot of city names at you. Yeah. You did, and I feel a little bit um, geographically challenged. But that's okay because it'll mean a lot to some people and others will show them a map so they can get a sense of the vastness of your market and um, and the potential, which is really yeah. inspiring. Uh, 
I just, bef I want the listeners to know that before we started recording, I asked Lindy and Allie how they wanted to uh, like end this interview in terms of talking about what's going on for next season. And they both confided that they're excited to sleep in. So <laughs> we're clear, <laughs> we're clearly at the end of your season, right? <laughs> yes. November is a time to sleep in, put the beds to sleep, get the tulips in and um, just look forward to next year. We're kind of just regurgitating everything we've learned this year and making plans and, of course, getting out the speed catalogs. And, we, you know, we don't have anything on the horizon, which feels kind of good after the yeah. busy season we have. I think it's it, this is a good period of time to kind of regroup and, and make some decisions about how Florage Cut Flower Co-op is going to look next year. And it's going to look, it'll be bigger and um, serve more customers. And I think that's a great story to share. Yes. Yes. We're excited for next season. <laughs> well, I, I will, I will put, I will put uh, Blackfoot, Idaho on my map. Hopefully we can meet. I've been telling Ralph and Jerry Ann that I'm coming at some point. So I'm now a slacker. I've, I've promised for a couple of years and haven't done it. So Allie, we'll try to make that happen. And I look forward to meeting yeah. you too, Lindy. It sounds like what you're doing is, is just really inspiring and it's going to inspire people listening to this today. Yes, thank you for sharing our story. I appreciate it. You bet. Okay, ladies, thanks so much. Thanks, Deborah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. so much for listening in on today's inspiring conversations. I have a big grin on my face as I reflect on the energy and enthusiasm shared by these floral entrepreneurs in Utah. There's lots more to come from this conversation, and I'm already eager to plan future episodes triggered by some of the topics we discussed today. From learning more about Dr. Melanie Stock's cut flower research at the Utah State University, to hearing how an established cut flower farm like Bindweed in Idaho has changed hands from its founders to new owners, Allie and Lauren. Not enough time today, but I hope to revisit Utah and the Slow Flowers members there in 2020. Stay tuned. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family owned since 1978. Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. You can learn more at Mayesh, M-A-Y-E-S-H.com. Mayesh recently launched a brand new e-commerce website, and I'm particularly excited about the Product Planner, the newest e-commerce edition, which allows florists to create recipes for events that then calculate the number of stems needed, generating a quote for that order. There's also a ramped up navigation designed to find quality flowers and more educational resources. Check out a video demo at the link I'll include in today's show notes at deborahprincing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 547,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. 
As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks today goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.